0: Welcome to the Sharp 600, brought to you by Covers.com. I'm Rob Cressy, and I'm super excited to be jamming with you. And joining me today to get you ready for UFC 251 is Nick Kalikas, Risk Supervisor at Circa Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Fight Odds. Nick, great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for
1: having me on, really excited.
0: First off, there's something that I noticed about you. One, you are wearing a Cincinnati Bengals hat. And two, you are drinking out of a Cleveland Cavaliers mug. So what is this about this Ohio love that you're rolling in with? (laughs) Well, of course, I was born and raised in Ohio.
1: So I always got to show some love for, you know, my home state or whatnot. Now I'm relocated, obviously, to Las Vegas, but I'm originally born and raised in Ohio. So, yeah, I'm a Bengals fan, kind of unfortunate, right? I mean... Although things are starting to look a little bit more exciting right now with Burrow and uh, we'll see what the future holds. But yeah, of course, I'm a Cavaliers fan. So, uh, you know, it's been kind of a rough going, but thank God for LeBron and, you know, we finally got it done. So, uh, you know, we have a championship under our wings, so to speak. So proud Ohio sports fan.
0: So I went to college at Miami of Ohio and lived in Cincinnati for six years. So I do have Ohio blood in me, even though I am from Pittsburgh. And what I can say is that my friends from Cincinnati actually feel most optimistic about everything right now from one, Joe Burrow and two, the Reds who for all intents and purposes, have a good team in a loaded division that is all a bunch of good, not great. And this isn't a Cincinnati podcast, but we're just riffing right here at the beginning.
1: <laughs> That's also bad. I mean, other than the Pittsburgh scenario, you know, you got that <laughs> Cincinnati-Pittsburgh rivalry. Well, it was kind of a rivalry for a while. You guys have been kicking our butts um, in football for a while now, but I get it. That's a ton of respect there for you.
0: So we are gonna jam about UFC 251, which is an absolutely monster card. But first I wanna talk a little bit about your journey and how you got to Circa, what's going on there, and what it's like in Vegas. So let's start with that. Can you sort of give us some insight into sort of how you got to where you are right now? Well, honestly, you know, Vegas has been a place that I've wanted to, to go and
1: be for a long, long time. I've been in the industry for about 17 years in the sports betting community and, you know, working for various uh, top level sports books. And and I always thought, you know, one day I would land in Vegas. Um, I got the opportunity actually with the UFC to uh, be on a show called out um, on the line, excuse me. So UFC on the line. And we do pay-per-view betting shows basically. And that opportunity came about late in 2019 and I was kind of getting flown in about once a month or so. So I talked to my wife, talked to my family and I thought, you know what, since I'm heading to Vegas at least one time a month for the pay-per-view to cover that, I think there's a good opportunity for me to actually relocate in Vegas and kind of try to find my way. You know, like I said, I wanted to hook up with a very reputable sports book out here. I um, mean, kind of bring my experience and everything I bring to the table along with and try to make things, you know, help them out in MMA and, and just other things in general, risk management, as you said, um, and be successful with what I do So that's kind of what the goal was. And fortunately, I got the opportunity uh, with Circus Sports. And obviously, they're one of the best up-and-coming sports books in the world. Very proud to be a part of this great team. I mean, from top to bottom, nothing but class. I mean, you know, I know they're getting a lot of good publicity right now, but it's deserving, really. I mean, like I said, the the team that they're putting together, just razor sharp and a bunch of great guys. So proud to be here.
0: Love hearing that. can you give us some insight into what it's like in Vegas right now? It's something that we've obviously been following on the show throughout the months, from when things started back in March all the way up to now. What are you seeing? Can you sort of take us into what's going on? um you know obviously, with the pandemic it's for me,
1: you know just relocating and only being here for a few months and then the pandemic hitting. It, I didn't get a really you know a, a much of a chance to experience the true Vegas. Um, you know, get out there, get a little bit more familiar with everything. So it's kind of taken a little bit longer. I mean, you know, we've been all been in quarantine basically for a long time through this pandemic. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, before, you know, the shutdown happened, I was able to, to go in and kind of check out the casino scene, open up sportsbook accounts at various places, which I've always wanted to kind of do as well. Uh, so that was pretty cool to me. And uh, now, obviously, after the pandemic and everything's kind of, well, not after, but obviously, we're still going through it, but uh, when things finally open back up, And I got this opportunity with circus sports kind of going through the casinos and different places. I'll tell you what, Vegas is coming back to life a little bit. I'm I'm pleasantly surprised with the amount of people that I see on the casino floor, you know, the amount of people that are just going out and and they miss Vegas so much. We're seeing a lot of people obviously coming across, you know, from California. And uh, I think Vegas has a bright future again. I know a lot of people are saying it's going to take a while to kind of get back to uh, where it was. And I understand that, you know, I mean, times are different now for sure. But, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm optimistic and I'm pleasantly surprised. I mean, we're seeing kind of an uptick and people really starting to show back up and kind of have that love for Vegas again.
0: What are expectations on a fight night? And certainly with a card that is this big, is a card like this big enough to really give a pulse of a sports book of people going back in there? Or what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think UFC has done wonders for the sports books, honestly. I mean, across the board, you know, there hasn't been much sports, obviously, to bet on for for the books out there. You know, they're, they're started to get, in, like KBO, for example, you know, it got televised on ESPN. Now that's one of the major things to bet on during this pandemic as well. But UFC has been the leader as far as the betting goes in most of these sports books across the board. So, yes, we are seeing people coming into the sports book and, you know, you know, being in that atmosphere before the fights are taking place, during the fights, making over-the-counter bets. We're seeing, starting to see more and more of that stuff. Of course, on the app, we're getting a ton of traffic and a ton of business as well. The handle's really good uh, for UFC events right now. Again, I think it's kind of carrying the load for most of these sports books, and it's exciting, you know, and I'm glad that UFC's finally getting kind of that recognition as being, you know, mainstream sport in the sports book's eyes. I think a lot of people really opened up to the fact that this is a great betting market i mean we're starting to put props up on every single fight across the board i mean you're seeing more options for people to bet on which is fantastic as well i mean back in the day a lot of these books didn't even offer props at all for some of these fights and let alone just maybe the main card but now we're seeing it like i said from main card to prelims i mean a lot more options and more to come as well so the market is growing and i think that like i said unfortunately you know there's a pandemic that kind of brought us to the forefront but I think the UFC is definitely in good shape and for the gambling industry as well.
0: And shout out to Dana white, because as a fan, I feel like he is doing things for the fans. And this was such a good opportunity for the UFC to say, wait a second, we've got a land grab, let's be the only game in town, something that baseball solely dropped the ball on because this could have been baseball's time where you're like, hey, Rob, we're creating a lot of prop bets and everything because people want to do it. Instead, it was KBO, and UFC is now the thing. So now let's talk about UFC 251. And like UFC being creative, this one is being held on UFC Fight Island In Abu Dhabi. So the first question for you is how much does the location of this matter and could it affect things with the outcome of the fights? Yeah, definitely.
1: I mean, we're seeing um, the heat is gonna be ridiculous out there, obviously. You know, the temperatures and the timing, everything, you know, the flights on the way there, kind of the short notice kind of feel to everything because a lot of these fights are getting booked a little bit shorter notice. So it, it's a different, you know, fight world we're living in right now. You know, you, you don't know what to expect. You don't know what kind of shape these fighters are going to be in. But the location is definitely something you got to consider as well. I mean, a lot of people that typically have some stamina or cardio issues, I mean, it's going to be probably elevated at this point right now because, I mean, like I said, you're going to be fighting in heat. It's going to be kind of, a, you know, a, a tough situation for people to kind of handle uh, that kind of intense you know atmosphere i guess sort of speak so yeah you got to factor everything in and typically if if a fighter has kind of cardio issues you have to kind of check that off as kind of a concern
0: there as well which is actually a great segue to the main event we have got kamaru uzman taking on jorge masvidal uzman known as someone who's got great conditioning uh what line did you guys have this at right now Right now, we're
1: seeing minus 265 plus 225. So Usman, a solid, you know, two and a half to one favorite or so, uh, minus 265. I opened it minus 290. The comeback was around plus 245. So we've seen a little bit of. Have action coming both ways, but just yesterday we saw some larger action, and some bigger action coming in on Masvidal, and we're dropping the line a little bit. I mean, we're taking 5K limits as we speak right now. The limits are going to be increased to 10,000 per pop um, here shortly at Circa, and then up to like around at least 25,000 on fight day we're going to be taking. So uh, we don't want to get too drastic with the line movements right now because we're expecting a ton of action to come in on this fight, uh, but yeah, right now, it seems like more action is coming in Masvidal's way. And You got to be safe. I mean, this is a quality fight. Masvidal is in this spot for a reason. Obviously, he's a fan favorite, but he's also a stud, man. I mean, what this guy has been able to go out there and do, I mean, on the feet, he's a terror to deal with. This guy definitely has knockout ability, knockout power, and he's a threat to Usman here. So we got to be kind of careful here, despite Usman being a solid favorite coming in.
0: So in a high profile fight like this, is it common to see more action going on the dog just because the public says, wait a second, we saw the way that Masvidal knocked out um, Ben Askren in five seconds with the flying knee. So we're like, all right, this can end quickly. We like the extra value of getting plus 200 on what we're doing as opposed to laying that on the favorite."
1: Yes, sir. Absolutely. I mean, you know, recency bias kind of a lot of people, I think, are in that spot right now where they're seeing, um, you know, Masvidal, all that he's accomplished. Yet, again, like you said, Ben Askren's one of the best wrestlers you could be in there with or in the cage with, you know, and, and he was able to just go out there and destroy Ben Askren as well. And the fight with Diaz. I mean, Nate Diaz and Masvidal, even though it's a different stylistic matchup, a lot of people are respecting Masvidal for coming off that big Nate Diaz win. Obviously, Nate Diaz has a win over Conor McGregor. So uh, the hype factor at, at the level of of fame right now for Masvidal is kind of off the charts. So in a way, even though this is a replacement fight and Masvidal stepping in on short notice, this is a bigger sell for the UFC. I think this is by far a bigger matchup. It's going to bring bigger, you know, more eyes to the table here as well. So I think you got to respect Masvidal. With that, it's going to bring more action on him at the betting window as well. We're seeing about a 10 to 1 difference in ticket count right now. So if for every obviously 10 tickets to come in on Masvidal. We're only getting one back on Usman. I mean, that's the different, you know, opinion right now for the betters. I mean, they're taking a shot on the dog here for sure.
0: So with this, that actually, that thought process gave me hesitation on Masvidal because I can put all the pieces together why everyone would like that. Uh, This is a fight that has a ton of bad blood between the two of them. Here's something that I'm curious on. How much does the short notice Affect both fighters. So for Usman, he was uh, preparing for Gilbert Burns, who's a completely different fighter than Masvidal And on the flip side for Masvidal, uh, he's filling in and he's cutting weight and he doesn't have a full camp here. Is there an edge one way or another in terms of the short notice? Because they've both got a little something.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think it's probably a better situation for Usman right now. this spot because he has been preparing at least for a fight a little bit more serious I know here's the thing a lot of people don't realize so Masvidal has been in the gym Uh, he was helping Dustin Poirier recently who had a fight against Dan Hooker one of the best fights we've seen in the history of the sport that fight was amazing Hooker and Poirier well he was a a training partner of Dustin Poirier so he was in the gym he was in his camp he was putting a lot of time in he actually had um, Usman on his mind as well they were about to sign a contract not too long ago so he was preparing to fight Usman so he was kind of in that mode. But, you know, the contract kind of didn't happen for him before this short notice appearance and opportunity for him. Um, So I think he kind of put that fight on the back burner a little bit, but he kept on training, you know, not as hard as he would having a full camp and a focused camp, but he kept his training up a little bit. Uh, So he's in decent shape. I mean, he's not just coming in from off the couch, so to speak, but still, I mean, six days notice, not having, you know, the right, I think, total mental set mindset coming into this fight as well. Um, he's got nothing to lose though. So I do like that about this. I mean, and again, Usman even said he has a built-in excuse. Masvidal does. If he loses this fight, he can say, Hey, I was only, you know, taking this fight on short notice. That's true, man. I mean, you can't deny that. So there's not a lot like a high expectation, I guess, for Masvidal. If he goes out there and kind of lays an egg, so to speak, everybody's going to be a bit disappointed, obviously, but he does kind of have that out saying, Hey, I took it on, you know, six days notice, uh, against one of the most dominant wrestlers, grinders in the whole sport, so, uh, you know, you got to cut me some slack here. So, I do think it impacts um, Mazvidal a little bit more than Usman. But again, Usman, it's an opponent change. He was getting used to training for Gilbert Burns, which was a training partner of his that he knew very, very well. And now you're fighting a guy that's going to look to keep this fight upright completely and try to knock you out. Not that Burns wasn't going to try to knock him out, so to speak, but Burns was kind of a different animal, a different kind of stylistic matchup where Burns could actually be more problems on the ground for a guy like Usman than he could standing up, where now Masvidal is more of a threat on the feet uh, than he is on the ground, obviously. So the styles kind of change a little bit, but I still think it's to Usman's advantage having that longer camp and, you know, this fight kind of playing out the way it should. A lot of people are expecting he's a solid favorite, make no mistake about it, because a lot of people are expecting Usman to be able to control this fight and kind of grind out Masvidal, you know. And I think that's probably what's going to happen. But, I mean, it's going to definitely be interesting, and Masvidal's very game. He's an intelligent fighter. Uh, so it should be interesting
0: to say that. least. It- And it looks like one of the keys is going to be Usman being able to take down Masvidal or the inverse Masvidal's ability to stop the takedown defenses. Because if Usman can get him down on the ground, it's one of those things where he's just going to grind it away. He's going to use that superior cardio and tempo to win the fight. So do you see in this is there any sort of class difference oftentimes when we're dealing with champions it's easy for us to try and create a merit, a narrative why masvidal is a great value as the underdog but if we look on the flip side at the champion he's a champion for a reason and he's a very good fighter he's on a 15 fight win streak right here are we dealing with two different classes or how close are these two
1: uh, that's a good question. You know, I think there is kind of a different class level, so to speak. I mean, again, not to take anything away from Osvidal, man, the guy's been around the sport for a long time. And I'm glad he's getting this opportunity to be in the spotlight and can finally get that title shot uh, that he's earned. You know, I mean, like I said, for just from being where he's at his whole career and getting to this point, making himself relevant. But yeah, I mean, as far as the wrestling ability, the grinding ability, I mean, th- there's different levels. And, and Masvidal's takedown defense through the years has improved so much. I mean, so make no mistake, he's brought in wrestlers. You know, he's been training for scenarios like this because most of the time, what do you want to do with Masvidal? You want to take him down. You don't want to strike with a guy, right? Because he, he typically has the striker's edge over you and most of his oppo- opponents. So for years now, people have been trying to take Masvidal down, control him on the ground. So this blueprint is no different than any other fight. But, and he's improved that takedown defense significantly But we've seen him still kind of against stud wrestlers or stud grapplers kind of have that issue, and he's been controlled a little bit. He's been taken down a little bit um, in various ways. So I think, yes, there is a difference in level. I mean, look what Usman was able to do to Tyron Woodley. I mean, before that fight, I mean, Burns obviously had success uh, against Woodley recently as well, but before that, nobody manhandled Woodley like Usman did. I mean, nobody was able to take him down. I mean, Tyron Woodley has arguably, I think it is. Um, even the stats say it, the best takedown defense in welterweight history. Um, I think now Usman might uh, kind of surpass that, obviously. But, I mean, he's right up there. So you could kind of see the scenario that I'm talking about here. I mean, so he was able to ragdoll and manhandle a guy like Woodley. So thoughts are he's probably going to be able to do the same thing to Masvidal, he's going to have success. So, yes, I think he's a level above the typical wrestler, the typical grinder that Masvidal is used to facing. So that's why you got to respect Usman in this spots, and I think he probably can't control the action in this cage.
0: For me, I'm going to be on Usman, but I'm going to talk about how I'm going to uh, later on there. Did you have a lean one way or another, or do you want to wait till that later on? Um, yeah, I mean, we can, I guess we can wait
1: later on a little bit. But I, as far as a pure pick goes, I'm obviously leaning Usman as well. Um, again, the short notice type situation, I think that in the past we've seen Masvido kind of fade a little bit, decline as, as the fight progresses. Um, not that he has bad cardio, but I still think that, you know, the short notice doesn't necessarily help that. And we've seen, like you mentioned, I mean, Usman's cardio is just ridiculous. I mean, it's off the charts, typically speaking. He can go five rounds strong. So I think even if it's competitive in the first couple rounds, as we get deeper into the fight, Usman should have the advantage, should be able to get those takedowns easier, should be able to control the action easier. It's going to be more dangerous for him early in this fight than it is kind of as the fight progresses a little bit. And it probably should get worse for Masvidal as the fight goes on.
0: All right, moving on to the featherweight championship. We've got the champion Alexander Volkanovsky taking on the former champ, Max Holloway and this is actually a rematch of UFC 245 in December where Holloway was actually the favorite in the fight but Volkanovski won the fight and the real reason why was because of the leg kicks it was an issue where Holloway just could not uh, he wasn't checking them and it ended up being um, the reason why he lost this. So when looking at this fight right here, we've got the rematch. We saw clearly why Holloway did not win. But can we expect the same thing? Because Holloway someone who he can switch stances and saw a little bit um, more success when he was southpaw there. Um, but we can't expect that we're just going to see the exact same narrative over again. So what are your thoughts on this? Yeah,
1: no doubt. I got Volkanovski in their first matchup. I, I was all over him, honestly. I took that plus money and thankfully it paid off. But let me say this. As the fight progressed, what we got in round four, round five, the adjustments that Holloway made, I was sweating it, man. I mean, like I said, we were kind of not cruising. I mean, it was a competitive fight, obviously, but Volkanovski was clearly winning the first three rounds. And then as the fight, like I said, got deeper a little bit. I mean, the adjustments that Holloway made made it interesting. And, and I never trust judging, man. Judging is the hardest aspect. I say it Many times throughout you know, several podcasts I've been on, the hardest part about betting MMA for me and UFC is the judges. I mean, that's, they're a wild card. You just never know how they're going to see a fight. Even if your guy's winning clearly 3-0, split decision the other way. We've seen it time and time again. I don't know, it's not corruption. It's not anything You know, foul play or whatnot. It's just that these guys, everybody has their own way of, of viewing fights And it's all over the place. I mean, these guys are just not that strong at their jobs, unfortunately. So that's what we have to depend on if he hits a judge's card most of of the time. So, I mean, that's always a wild card for me. So I was sweating that decision, honestly, the first time around. Um, And and here, that's what makes it kind of tough as well, because those adjustments that I was talking about in round four, round five, I think Holloway could possibly make those a little bit earlier in this fight and and maybe have a little bit more success. But there's a lot of rumors floating around. Obviously, Holloway came out himself and said – that he really didn't have much time with his coaches. I mean, you know, he didn't have much of a normal camp because of the pandemic and because of the situation that was going on. So he did train, you know, kind of on his own or whatnot for this fight. He, but that is a bit of a concern. I know that people are looking at it, I guess, two ways. Um, and some people are saying he's kind of making more than it is out of the situation. But if you didn't get hands-on um, training with his coaching staff to kind of develop this game plan and put it in place, I think that's kind of a negative for him for sure. Um, in this aspect. And Volkanovsky's kind of riding that wave of confidence right now. He's saying he's going to go out there and finish Holloway so it doesn't even hit the scorecards. I mean, this is definitely an interesting fight. And like you said, the leg kicks made a huge impact. I believe he threw 75 leg kicks, if I'm not mistaking, um, the first time around, which is ridiculous. Uh, so, I mean, I think he's going to have – that type of game plan, of course, as well. But it's up to Holloway to make those adjustments. And, of course, he's one of the greatest featherweights of all time. So is he capable of doing so? Yes. And that's what makes it hard to lay minus 215 that we have right now on Volkanovsky. The comeback is actually plus 185 on um, Holloway. And this is one of those fights that kind of after the news came out on ESPN and you know the rumors started floating around about Holloway not having maybe a great camp, the line kind of escalated. Steam started coming in Volkanovsky's way. And now we're starting to see people are buying into that a little bit, and we're starting to see some dog action back in the hallway because, again, it's a tough fight to bet. I took Volkanovski the first time around as a dog. Am I willing to lay over 200 right now? I'm not so sure. You know, I mean, that's a difficult spot because I do expect to see another competitive decision if we hit the scorecards. If Volkanovski can't finish him, I mean, it's, it might be a coin flip type of fight if it does hit the card. So that's kind of the narrative here in my opinion, and, and that's the way it's probably going to play out.
0: And where are you seeing
1: the action, or where do you expect the action to go in this one? I think we will see more Holloway action. So the sports books are probably going to need Volkanovski right now. We are. I think it was like a five to one ratio ticket count wise that that is coming in on Holloway over Volkanovski. Of course, Volkanovski is going to be thrown into parlays though, so it'll kind of balance the action out a little bit um, in that regard. But I think overall. By the time it's said and done, we're going to probably need Volkanovsky to win. And I want to be on that side, honestly. Like I said, I would, would I be willing to lay minus 200? I think it's a dog or pass situation at the betting window right now. But as this line kind of creeps down, there might be a little bit of value that opens up on Volkanovsky as well. Because I think right now he's just kind of hitting his groove. He's almost in the prime of his career. Where Holloway, despite him having some amazing performances the last few years, I don't think he's at the peak of his career. I don't think he's in his prime right now. I think we're going to probably see him – kind of start fading a little bit I mean that fading can still beat most opponents at featherweight no question about that but I still think we're seeing two guys kind of at different points of their career so I do lean Volkanovsky here but again it's tricky where the price is so in my opinion as far as risk management goes we want to try to keep this fairly close as far as action you don't want to get too lopsided either way so I think we'll balance everything out as much as we possibly can with the small need towards Volkanovsky.
0: All right, so that's actually a great segue to where my mindset was, is I wanted to be on Volkanovski, but guess what? I didn't like laying these giant numbers with both favorites, so I was like, huh, let me go ahead and parlay both of these, Usman and Volkanovski, together to get it close to even money one way or another. And I know I'm not alone in this sort of thinking, and talk to us about the way that the public may think like this. Is that smart for us to do or sort of What is the logic behind it? Because it says, listen, we don't want to be laying these big numbers here, but let's take the two favorites, two fighters that we think are clearly better right there. What do you think about this sort of mindset? I can understand
1: it. I mean, MMA and UFC in general is a different beast. I mean, parlaying a lot of sports teams and a lot of favorites like that. I mean, sometimes that's a recipe for disaster. I mean, a lot of sports books welcome parlay action, you know, bring it as they say or whatever. And, And most of the time, obviously the parlays get busted. And this could be the case here as well. But again, I think, UFC, if you're putting two teamers together, two fighter parlays, sort to of speak, together, I think your your chances of kind of hitting, depending on the situation, does increase a little bit in comparison to other sports. So, I, you know, Usman, with a little bit of Volkanovsky a two-team parlay here, I, I wouldn't shy away from it. You know, I wouldn't go crazy with it, of course, because, again, I mean, these are fights, both of them, that could hit the scorecards, and that's what worries me the most, I think, overall. Even you know, the Usman Masvidal I could actually hit the cards despite the short notice and everybody thinking it probably won't hit the cards. I can understand that. Um, But I still think that, you know, that's a concern. So I wouldn't go crazy, but yes, I wouldn't blame somebody for throwing Usman in there with Volkanovski doing a fun little two-team parlay. I mean, like I said, I would love to, I'm more of a dog or pass guy. Like, you know, I would say, oh, you've got to bet this dog if there's value on it. Uh, But in this case, like I said, I'm kind of leaning towards both favorites here. So a little two-team parlay, I could see that, man. I, I, I like that.
0: I do. And that's exactly what I'm going to be doing. And guess what? We have yet another title fight, the Bantamweight title. We got Peter Jan taking on Jose Aldo. What odds do you have this one at right now? Right now, we're seeing Jan
1: at minus 235, the comeback plus 200 on Aldo. And it's kind of been staying steady. Um, There's not as much action on this fight as the other two that we were just talking about, surprisingly. I think a lot of people are just... Sort of scratching their heads at the matchup in a way. I mean, more action is coming in on Aldo, uh, but the lines kind of staying steady right now. I'm expecting this line to drop a little bit more because I think we're going to see some bigger bets come in on Aldo as well as we get closer to fight time. So, but it's another scenario where I mean, you have the proven champion, the former champion, and Aldo, which is kind of you know coming in against uh, the guy that's been on the rise. I mean, one of the best bantamweights in the world right now for sure, and Peter Yan. I mean, the guy's phenomenal. I mean, you know, what he's done in the level competition he's faced lately, you know, he's on top of the world for a reason. So him getting this title shot against a legend like Aldo, which, by the way, he was a former featherweight king. Now he's dropped down to bantamweight. And a lot of us were concerned, you know, making his uh, bantamweight debut, would he even be able to make weight? And how would he perform at bantamweight after that drastic weight cut? Because a while back, it seemed like he was having issues making featherweight. So for him making bantamweight at first for most of us was kind of a head scratcher. We didn't even think he could possibly do it, but he did it. He showed up. He looked great um, at doing so. That's why he's getting his title shot opportunity as well. And it was a controversial decision that he lost. I mean, he's getting a title shot off of a loss. So that tells you something there as well, right? The judges kind of got it wrong. I mean, and it happens from time to time where they did get that decision wrong. So a lot of people respected Aldo in that fight, thought he should have got the nod. The UFC thought he should have got the nod as well, and they put him right into the fire against Jan. So this is going to be just a fantastic matchup. Again, kind of a changing of the guard, so sort to of speak. But make no mistake, Aldo's game, and at least, again, for the first two or three rounds, I think it's going to be a very competitive fight. He's going to have his moments here.
0: Both fighters are good strikers. So there is knockout potential. Is there value on a potential under rounds in this fight? Yeah, I think so. I mean, looking, it's kind of tough where the
1: line's set right now though, at two and a
0: half rounds. I mean, because
1: it can probably hover around that spot. We could see it going into the third round and just over that two and a half mark spot. Um, And then we could see it maybe ending in, like I said, late round three, maybe early round four, round five, or something like that. Because Aldo does typically tend to fade in certain fights. And, again, with the heat being what it is, and you got to factor that in the equation here, I think a lot of people are banking on maybe a late finish from Jan uh, to get it done in maybe round four, like I said, round five. So the the two-and-a-half round setting here I think is spot on because it's going to kind of hover around that mark. You know, I don't think – I mean, we could obviously – two strikers, like you said, we could see somebody spark the other person in, like – Two minutes. I mean, it could happen for sure. Aldo has that kind of knockout power, Yan does as well. So I think this is a great fight and has potential for that. But I mean, realistically, I could see this fight kind of playing out for a few rounds. It'll be a really close competitive fight back and forth, so to speak. And then we could see Yan kind of take over and maybe finish Aldo as, as it progresses as well. But would you be willing to lay again minus 235 for that? Kind of a tough one, man. I mean, it's another spot where I think it's a favorite or pass situation, but the favorite price is just a little bit too high for you to just kind of go crazy and make a significant wager on it.
0: With uh, Jose Aldo being more name recognition where the casual fan would know his name, is that built in at all? Or is the public, once again, like All you say, here's a dog with someone who's a former champ that we know for me, those are always red flags. Yeah, no, the public's going to, like I said, I think a lot of the diehards and the public's going to kind of back
1: Aldo more, than uh, Jan in this spot because of the line. I mean, if the line was a lot different, if the line was minus 150, you would see a lot of sharps pouncing on Jan in this spot. You know, you'd see a lot of confident betters coming in that way, but the line, like I said, I think it's set about right. And it's kind of keeping people at bay. Um, So you're going to see more of the public action and, and more people taking shots on Aldo and thinking that he has enough left in the tank to kind of derail Jan's hype train, so to speak. You know, I mean, if Jan gets this win, it is definitely gonna be the marquee win of his career. He's gonna obviously have that strap around his waist as well. And then his hype's gonna to go to a different level completely. So that's gonna be interesting to see where he goes from here. But um, so yeah, I think we're gonna see the casual betters and even the diehard betters kind of want to take a stab at Eldo more so. So this is another spot we're probably gonna need the favorite in this you know in this situation. And a lot of times, you know, that's not the case in the sports books. A lot of people love to bet favorites. And they love to bet those chalk parlays. And again we will have some Yan parlay action. I mean we're already getting it Um, you know, that's going to always come in. Like you said, parlayed with Usman Volkanovsky, a lot of other fighters on this card that people are throwing in parlays as well. So we're going to have some balance in that sort of speak, but as far as actually coming in on this fight right now, surprisingly, it's
0: kind of low. All right, let's go to these last two fights in there from the women's division. we got Jessica Andrade taking on Rose Namajunas. And this is a rematch. And here's what's interesting to me, that Namajunas lost the fight. It was actually in spectacular fashion. Uh, she was outstriking Andrade before she got slammed on her head and knocked out right here. Where do you currently have this, and what are your thoughts on the fight? The current line
1: for this one is minus 190. For Namajunas, the comeback on Andrade at plus 165. And, again, it's another spot where we're seeing kind of two-way action on this fight. I mean, Rose got bet up a little bit. Now we're seeing the line kind of go back down. Uh, There is some sharp action coming in both ways here as well. I think more sharp bettors are going to come in on Andrade, despite, you know, obviously Rose is doing really well in that first fight. And you're right. She was winning that fight before the slam occurred and that crazy knockout finish. I mean, that was definitely – one of the wildest finishes I've seen in a fight, especially in a women's MMA bout. There's no doubt about that. So that was fantastic. But, I mean, going back through that fight, you could tell who was winning the fight. I mean, Rose was the sharper fighter. I mean, she's just simply the better fighter. She's more technical on the feet. She's a little bit longer. She's a better submission fighter here. So Andraja's path to victory is obviously getting in close and using her power and trying to out-muscle and getting those slam takedowns and trying to control this fight on the ground. Um, And it's kind of going to be, you know, a situation she could use some of that, but I think Namajunas is another fighter that's kind of game and it's going to be able to kind of counter a lot of what Andrade throws at her so another tough spot at the betting window hate to say it I mean but you got to be truthful here you know I don't want to lead people the wrong way because I think again the line if the line was lower for Rose if it was about minus 160 I'd probably pounce on Rose but being almost minus 200 you got to apply a little bit of caution because I know the game plan I know the strategy for Andrade is going to be what I just said And for me, mentally speaking, I'm not sure where Nama Yunus is at this point of her career. You know, she obviously had some personal issues and she had to pull out of a fight recently as well, Um, you know, with the COVID, rumors flying around that she lost a relative from COVID. Uh, She's had a lot of kind of mental things kind of pop up in the past uh, in her personal life as well. So If she's focused, she can win this fight, but that's a big if right now. I mean, I'm not sure where her, again, mental state is, and she has to be focused, and she has to be ready for Andrade because Andrade is going to bring it. She's going to look to do the same thing and kind of ragdoll Yunus where she can, and that power is definitely a threat, even on the feet. She's not the better striker, but she has more one-pop knockout power, one-punch knockout power that she can bring to the table. So Yunus has to respect
0: that, and, again, kind of another difficult spot here. All right. Last fight. we got Amanda Rebus taking on Paige Van Zandt and Rebus is a monster favorite here. One, what odds do you have this at? And two, how do you go about betting such a large favorite?
1: This is tough. You got to bet the props, man. You got to bet the submission prop, I think, for Hebus, uh, Rebus here at this spot. Uh, right now, though, overall, the betting line is minus 800 for Rebus in the comeback, plus 585 um, on Van Zandt. So, you're seeing a, a significant favorite for a reason. I mean, stylistically, this is just a nightmare matchup for Van Zandt. I mean, we're seeing, you know, Rebus can kind of win this fight, I think, everywhere it takes place. Rebus is kind of on the rise. I mean, she's an aggressive striker. We've seen her be accurate. We've seen her be clean with her striking and not afraid to get in the pocket and throw down. But it, her, her jujitsu, her ground game, is a level above most ladies in this spot. So she could be able to get the takedowns here. And if the fight goes to the ground, she has a significant advantage over Van Zandt. Now, make no mistake – I mean, if you're seeing this price, you would think, oh, Van Zandt must not be that good. She's a really good fighter. I mean, she brings a lot to the table here. I mean, popularity, I mean, put that aside, she can actually strike. She's well rounded. I mean, she has some decent wrestling, she has a decent ground game as well. It's just the styles make fight scenario here. And Rebus is just a terrible stylistic matchup um, for Van Zant right now. And that's why you're seeing this, this price be what it is. And also, we have to factor in that, again, from what we've seen in the hype and the performances from Rebus thus far, People are going to want bet better. I mean, this is the last fight of Van Zandt's contract. There's rumors that she could be going to another organization possibly after this fight. So I think the UFC, if that's the case, the UFC's kind of setting, you know, letting her go off of a loss more than likely. You know what I mean? That's not necessarily a bad thing for them. Um, so this is just a, a terrible spot for Van Zant, And I expect her, obviously, to get beat. And if you're going to look to bet this, I think there's a plus – maybe around plus two hundred odds at different places at circus sports where I think a little bit under plus two hundred right now because we did get some uh, action on submission. So we're trying to keep that a little bit safer. I don't want to get pounded by Rebus, you know, by submission with a ton of action because I think that's a, a really likely scenario she could win that way. Maybe she could win by Uh, knockout on the ground, TKO on the ground as well. If she gets top position and she starts pounding away, you know, positional control on the ground and getting a TKO stoppage, I could see that possibly playing out. Or she may be able to just do enough. Van Zandt's a tough, tough girl. She might be able to hang in there, not get submitted and, you know, make it to the scorecards. But either way, it's going to be a tough fight for her to win. I don't see it happening.
0: Nick, I absolutely love jamming with you. I had so much fun, and I'm really looking forward to UFC 251 because it is going to be amazing. Where can everybody connect with you? Um, Hit me up at Twitter, at Fight Odds, of course. And, of course,
1: um, check out Circus Sports on Twitter as well. We have a lot of great things going on. Like I said, I mean, if you guys want to bet the fights, we are the best place to bet the fights. I mean, there's no question about that. Fair limits, fair splits across the board, and it's only going to get better. So make sure you check out Circus Sports, and again, check me out at Fight Odds on Twitter.
0: And I want to hear from you. What action are you going to have for UFC 251? Send me your card. You can hit me up on Twitter at Rob Cressy. Make sure to use hashtag Sharp600 and be part of our community. And also make sure to tag at Covers. And you know what? If you dug this podcast, here's what would really help us out. Throw us a bone. Go to iTunes and give us a rating and review. And when you do, we will give you a shout out on the next podcast. And remember, you want to be a sharp? Don't be a square with your bankroll. Be disciplined with your money management. With it. The the devil hits you with the rap level of 10. The 1, two, three, your pen. I get action. So everybody jump with your rope. If like the way the sound pump, pump it in your back. Pump. And let loose with the juice when I do rock. I'm too hot. Some say I got more
1: juice than too pop.